Welcome to Word Game is Anonymous, episode 175, Origins Game Fair, BGA Awards. We'd like to thank the Origins Game Fair and Gamma for inviting us to a fantastic show. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast for board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Anthony, time and space. We've dealt with it before, but now it all lines up. We're back from Origins Game Fair 2018. What do you think, man? Actually physically back, yes. <laughs> it's no longer <laughs> the future or the past or however we do that. Um, we went there, we did stuff, we came home, and now we've played some games. It was a lot of fun. It was good. It's one of my favorite cons because it's, you know, it's three hours from my house, but also because <laughs> um, <laughs> it's... That's 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 a raving endorsement. There. <laughs> well, you know, it's not just crazy trip home or anything. You know, I'm relatively sure. close to the family, but at the same time, you can game, you can get stuff in. The the hall's not so big. I walked it several times. I feel like I met almost everybody in that hall over the five days, which is not possible at uh, Gen Con. So no. yeah, I love it. For me, just general impression of the fair was they did a great job. And I'm good. I got my steps in. I'm happy. <laughs> I got my steps in too. Yeah. But it, Saturday after you left, I got in like 27,000 steps because I was just like back and forth, hotel and back. Like, there you go. The exercise is a good thing. Like we talked about in our last episode about how to enjoy a game fair. You definitely want to go old school. As our, as I told our friend Ryan, just don't take the bus and the, you know, and an Uber everywhere. Walk, man. It's a game convention. You, you gotta, you gotta do it old school. That's great until you actually have to carry bags full of games. And then it's a nightmare right, right away. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's when the bus is great. <laughs> <laughs> so, Anthony, generally that convention went quite well for us. We did enjoy it. Obviously, you got to be there the entire time. I did have to leave halfway through for my niece's baptism, so I wasn't able to be there the entire time. But we have so much to talk about on this episode, and we are doing a massive features episode here. So we are talking about the Origins Game Fair BGA Awards. So what we started doing about two years back is we wanted to present our own BGA Awards for everything that we saw, everything that we experienced, everything that we gamed, everything that's Origins, and let you know the best of the best from the fair. So if you weren't there or if you happened to miss us, we want to bring you up to date with all the great things because typically these things are going to just eventually hit your table at some point. And we just want to kind of give you a heads up on these great things. So, Anthony, we talked a little bit generally about the fair. We did enjoy a great deal. We've been to Origins a couple of years now. Let's talk about a little bit about the numbers here. So tell us a little bit about the uh, Origins turnout this year. How was it? Yeah, I mean, we kind of had an impression that it was up and a little bit busier than normal. And it turns out that was correct. Uh, the total turnout was up by about 10%, so almost 19,000. And the turnstile, which is just the total volume of people, was up 20%, meaning more people were there for more days, which you could definitely feel. I mean, Saturday was Saturday. It's always Saturday. But, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, those days felt particularly busy. And from all the people we talked to, Thursday in particular seemed like it was a very strong beginning to the con. It's not like Gen Con where everybody's there for the full four days. 
it's definitely like a weekend heavy con where you know maybe it's there's it's crowded early on thursday but not too much friday's kind of light sunday's kind of light everybody shows up on saturday but it seems like a lot more people showed up for a bigger chunk of the show this year yeah and it seems for Origins specifically they either depending on how you look at it, either do a better job of this or just the way the convention center is set up the rpgers the larpers a lot of the other types of gamers that aren't strictly board gamers they are typically off on their own and they really don't have a major impact on the main exhibit halls. You don't really see a lot of that kind of content going on there where Gen Con, a lot of those vendors are in the halls. A lot of those people are either in close proximity or they're somewhere at the gaming tables right with everybody else. So it doesn't feel as massively congestive as long as you're not trying to get event tickets because if you're trying to get event tickets <laughs> good god yeah quickly becomes the worst board game convention possible because it's an exhausting agonizing line to pick tickets up because they stop doing their online purchasing and that's a problem this year but it's also been a problem in past years as well so hopefully 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 at some point they will be able to find a better system i mean even a kiosk system where they just had, you know, iPads set up around the area, that would be perfect. Just something because that's really what kind of grinds the convention to a halt. And it's kind of funny, too, because Origins is putting a lot of these pictures out. And typically when you put pictures out of convention, you want to show the, you know, the masses, all these people that are coming to conventions. And I was checking out their website and a lot of their pictures are of the lines, which... <laughs> You know, to be fair, I mean, if you go to Gen Con, they have lines, too. They have crazy lines, especially when you're trying to get your registration on, like, day one or day two. We waited hours sometimes in that line, but never this amount of time for event tickets. That's something that is still needs to be corrected for the future. So if you are going to plan for events, plan in advance. Hopefully they don't lose your tickets because that happens. And because at that point it's going to be an issue. So something to look at in the future. So now there was some other things going on this year that were a little different about Origins. So, Anthony, let's talk about the three-room setup. What does that mean? Yeah, the three rooms was funny, like when we first got there. So in the past years, the way it was set up was you have three halls in the convention center, and halls A and B were uh, set aside for part of it and then the other half was the other half part which was like the gaming and it was open you know up until 1 a.m whatever it is instead of doing it that way this year what they did is they split it in half so the gaming hall was on c and a and then the exhibition hall was on b so what that mean meant on wednesday was you could go in a you could go and C. you couldn't cut through the middle because they were built, still setting up and what it meant the rest of the time was People could line up on both sides to, to rush in and try to get the, the hard-to-get stuff in the morning and were subsequently funneled out through those side entrances. It was a funny way to do it. Everybody seemed to like it, though, at least from the exhibitor's perspective, because you have people kind of flowing in constantly from both sides, uh, even if they're just going to check out the other side of it. And you don't get like this feeling that you have this one big chunk that just kind of shuts down. You know, it's, it's all part of the same thing. And this little part in the middle shuts down, you know, halfway through. Uh, every day so it was interesting yeah it was odd it was weird how at a certain hour you couldn't cross from a to c you had to actually 
go back out to the main hallway and then walk all the way around. That was annoying. But I guess from a flow perspective, as far as the normal gaming hours and convention hours are concerned, having people, I guess, split up on both ends for their general gaming and then having the vendors in the middle kind of put the vendors in a position where they couldn't kind of be ignored or pushed all the way to the left like they've been in past years. So maybe that flow worked better. It kind of remind me of a supermarket almost where you had like the produce at one end and you had the, the uh, bread and dairy at the other end. So you had to kind of cross the entire supermarket to yeah. get the, the base essentials. So they're like, hey, there's two big event game halls. But in order to do that, you got to kind of walk through the vendor hall, huh? <laughs> so if you if you happen to have a spot, in the middle, at the main vendor area, you got a lot of traffic. So that was kind of the new setup and obviously a new traffic pattern, which probably worked really well for the vendors. So we're happy about that. It was definitely a different setup and uh, probably something they're going to do in the future because most people really enjoyed it. All right, Anthony. So one of the big events for Origins happens to be their big awards fair. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the winners from the fair? Yeah, so Origins does their awards every year. They change it completely every single time. Um, different categories, different number of nominees. We usually make fun of it a little bit. But the winners are generally good and agreed upon. We don't generally have a problem with the winners. It's more of the, the nomination process. It's a little goofy. So this year's winners, and these were announced on Saturday um, afternoon, evening. And uh, no huge surprises here, I don't think, except maybe one or two. The best board game of the year, also the fan favorite, and the overall game of the year, and usually the best board game is the game of the year, uh, was, of course, Gloomhaven, which is winning every award, at least in the Hobby Hobby areas, not the lighter games. So Gloomhaven, once again, cleaning up. The one that was kind of a, I wouldn't say 100% unexpected, but it was a big field so maybe it just split the vote a little bit, was Ex Libris winning best card game. I like Ex Libris fine. It just didn't jump out at me as the best card game. I really don't think of that even as a card game. It's It has cards, but I typically think of that as a board game because you have all the pieces and everything else that comes to it. Yeah. When I think of a card game, I think of this game is a deck of cards or decks of cards, and that's pretty much the only thing to the game. Yeah, which is why the fan favorite for card game makes much more sense. It was Hero Realms. Yes, yeah. I would agree with Hero Realms is a great game, and that's probably the one I would have voted for specifically on that side. So yeah, same here. So best miniature game is Warhammer 40k Eighth Edition. I mean, miniatures games are kind of having like a little bit of a resurgence now. You've got every major publisher is releasing one. A lot of them are very good. Uh, best collectible game and fan favorite was Star Wars Destiny. I agree. Um, it's it's a great game. Uh, best family game and fan favorite was Azul, and I don't think anybody's super surprised by that, especially for a Spiel nominee. Mm -hmm. Broken Token took home another award for their Terraforming Mars organizer, his best gaming accessory. Mm -hmm. So that's a pretty solid one. Best role-playing game supplement, we have D&D Xanathar's Guide to Everything, which, from what I've been told, is great. But again, I don't know anything about these <laughs> role-playing games. So, um, Best overall role-playing game did split the vote. We had Adventures in Middle-Earth won the overall vote. And then the fan favorite was Starfinder, um, which was the space version of Pathfinder that Paizo released last year. Both of these are amazing. So I yes. think uh, either way, either want Middle-Earth or you want space. But if you want either of those, here you go. <laughs> yeah, I think we did a pretty good job predicting those winners and all really well 
deserving games. So overall, pretty good, uh, a little bit of award se- season there. All right, Anthony, so that's our general impressions from the Origins Game Affair 2018. But let's get into stuff that really matters, the BGA Awards for Origins Game Affair 2018. So, Anthony, why don't you give us one of our awards and let's see who is the big winner. All right, so if you guys listened a couple years ago, we had fun with this. These are not just, some of these are pretty straightforward, but some of them are a little goofier. But the goal is here to kind of point out the stuff that jumped out at us that was interesting, exciting, different, whatever it might be from the show. And also to talk about some of the different games we saw or demoed and played um, that maybe we won't be able to review for a few weeks. Um, you know, we obviously have limited space here for reviews. So um, I'm going to kick it off with a relatively straightforward one. Best Euro that I got a chance to play uh, at the con was a game that they didn't have for sale, but I'm extremely excited to see when it finally is released. It's Teotihuacan. Um, and this is a new game from NSKN Games, and uh, one of the designers of Zulkin, the Mayan Calendar, uh, Marco Polo. So all these kind of unique twists on Euro gaming, uses a lot of clever uses of dice in some of his games. And this is yet another one. It's a rondelle-based game in which you are moving your dice around, collecting different resources, using those resources to activate different things, to build a pyramid in the middle of the board. And every time you activate your dice, they power up a little bit, and then they can eventually retire, and then they reset down to one. But you get bonuses when they retire. Very, very interesting. I think this game is going to be a big hit when it does release later in the fall. I'm very excited to get a full copy of the game and be able to play it a little more regularly. But for me, this was the best, like, bigger meteor game than i played at the con over the five days yeah absolutely that game looked fantastic can't wait to get that to the table all right another award we have up here is best overproduced abstract this is from simon games way of the panda we got a chance to play this game at origins and you know when it, it basically comes down to an abstract game and what you're trying to do is score points based upon placing buildings based upon where your three pandas are positioned and based upon where your little guards, your little panda guards are kind of safeguarding the different pathways. So it basically comes down to, once again, basically an abstract game, but there's nothing basic about the miniatures here. Cool Mini or Not always does a fantastic job with their minis. And once again, especially the way board gaming is going these days, nothing is left to chits alone. So fantastic miniatures in this game and just once again a beautiful production you know for an overproduced abstract game yeah yeah i I bet say we could use that word for a lot of simon games but to be fair to the game you know if you mix in those cards we were talking about this when we played it if you mix in the cards that come with it to kind of tweak the game and give it some interesting you know flavor it seems like a solid enough game it's just that overproduction jumps the price point up to a point where you're just like ugh. I don't know if I can. It's a lot of money. Uh, and that's an unfortunate thing that happens sometimes when you throw a lot of plastic at a relatively simple mechanical game. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, next one here is the best digital implementation. So this has become a thing at cons lately where you have board games everywhere. And then a lot of these booths will also have iPads or computers set up so you can try the digital versions of their games. And um, the one that jumped out at us at this particular con as the most interesting and polished was Lord of the Rings, the card game, just coming to Mac and PC. They actually just announced this 
today, I think, that the early access is going to start on August 28th. So this is a full-blown digital video game similar to your Hearthstone um, in terms of production and depth. Uh, it's a free-to-play game. I think when they launch it in early access, you'll have to pay, but eventually it'll be free-to-play. Single player, or you can play cooperatively. They're adding that later on. And it remixes everything you know from the actual card game into a format that works on the computer. We got a chance to demo the first level in the game. Very smooth, very solidly uh, polished, has a lot of stuff I'm familiar with from the card game, but enough things that were different that I want to play more to kind of see how it all plays out. Um, very, very excited for this. I was hesitant at first um, when I first heard about it because I don't want just a digital reprint of the hundreds of dollars of cards I have in this drawer, um, but it definitely seems like it brings something new to the table, which is great. I've been playing a lot of digital versions of board games lately, and Typically, I got to be honest, most of them are kind of like so-so, meh, or just generally blah with one or two kind of exceptions that kind of stand out. This game was phenomenal. I mean, the production quality of this was beautiful. The simplicity of use was great. The interface was fantastic. The artwork is all here from the game. They did a really great job, and they're still tweaking it. And I thought that was probably the best thing about this demo was there was somebody taking notes of challenges that gamers were having playing the game and they were still looking to kind of implement those things. So hopefully that goes incredibly well and then hopefully this becomes an incredible game. So really looking forward to this. All right, Anthony, now let's talk about something that's a lot more important, best booth gimmick. Now, a lot of these board game booths have a lot of fun stuff to come look at, take pictures with, or just generally fool around with a little bit. Probably the one that kind of like stuck out the most was the giant skeleton lord from vast now vast does a fantastic job with their miniatures and their artwork is beautiful with their vast games and also the root which is coming out is really something i'm really excited about but the skeleton more than anything else in the convention is for lack of a better term so animated that it really kind of stood out for me for the convention <laughs> And uh, I remember, like, I stopped in there, like, look, look at that, <laughs> just out of nowhere, <laughs> just like this thing standing there. And their booth has a lot of great artwork, but this, this skeleton really stood out for me. Yeah, yeah, the life-size implementations of these game characters—they're funny because it makes for a good photo op, but it also scares children. So you know, you <laughs> the double whammy. You got the vast skeleton. There was the gear lock in the Too Many Bones booth. Yes, um, the Chip Theory booth. It was like a weirdly realistic gear lock to a creepy degree. That werewolf in the Bezier Games booth. Yes. So some good stuff for photos, if nothing else. And there was our old friend, that robot that's made of like oh, yeah. jugs. <laughs> I see him every year. I'm like, I remember you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was weird miniatures, I think. They lug that thing everywhere. <laughs> they do. Oh, man. Yeah, it's a booth gimmicks are fun. Um, another thing that's fun is seeing something you really want until you see the price. So... <laughs> And there's a lot of that at board game conventions. There's a but, lot. Uh, the best sticker shock moment, by far, not just because of the price, but because of the situation in which we heard the price, is the Broken Token Rising Sun insert. So you walk up to the booth. They have two of these set up. They have one that is this beautiful, huge box, and enameled and lacquered and painted. And then they have kind of just the regular one that you can use for the regular game. And I think they have 
prices listed for two. There's like 70 bucks for just the base game and then like 120 or 150 for the everything goes game with the Kickstarter stuff. And so you're looking at this stuff and you're like, okay, that's amazing. That's still $170 is a lot of money. And then this other guy standing next to us says something to the effect of, or one of us asks, is it come painted like that? And the other guy says, well, it better for that price. I mean, I wouldn't buy it if it didn't. And then of course the broken token employee standing right there and he's like, oh, it doesn't come painted or assembled <laughs> or, or lacquered or with or. the little metal pieces that hold it together. <laughs> so... <laughs> and we all stood there kind of like shocked. We were just like, okay. <laughs> just like, it was just, it was a really strange moment because the guy that was looking to buy this and was talking about the upgrade thing was completely serious. He wasn't being rude or crass in any way. He was just like, of course, for that price, it comes with those things. And, you know, that makes sense. And we were just like, all right, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And then we were like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, so here's the best part. What do you all think it costs? Well, it's $300. And then if you want the super duper version where they've painted everything and it's totally fine and cleaned up for you, it's 350 So... $350 for a board game insert. To be fair, for a game that you probably spent $200 on. Mm-hmm. Whew. I don't know. <laughs> we might have reached peak insert. I don't know what we could do with that. Yeah, I think so. All right. Well, another great thing to the convention is convention games. Now, when I talk about convention games, I don't mean just like very long games, but games that publishers kind of blow up to this mega size format. Now, you, if you look back, you've seen a lot of these pictures in our past and Everything that we're talking about here is on our Facebook page, so check out all the photos there. Typically, when you go to a convention, you always look for the King of Tokyo set because it's really a nice kind of gigantic production. But this time, uh, Oritama was a huge production here from Arcane Wonders, and it was really nice to see. It was really in the front. A lot of people were playing it. It was really quick and easy to kind of play and drew a lot of attention to the convention and i think it was the most talked about photo that we had that day so it was really nice to see it wasn't the only one but it was probably one of the newest ones that were out there and really got people jazzed about the game yeah for sure it's one of those things like like anytime you see a giant game for the first time you're like "Ooh, awesome and then we're gonna see that every con from now on probably and then eventually <laughs> yes. it'll just it'll become like the giant king of tokyo which we've seen at every con for five years but it's still cool Still very uh, cool. <laughs> so speaking of giant stuff, the there was one game in particular that had people running around in giant groups throughout the con, and that was Welcome Two. This is a game that it's it's a roll and write game without dice. It's a relatively small twenty five dollar game. Deep Water Games had it, but they only had twenty five copies per day. So every morning, people would line up, they'd rush in, they'd jostle a little bit and try to get in line. Um, it became a daily thing, and all the other uh, vendors in the area would comment on the people bolting past them much faster than they should have been. Um, the box for the game, however, also says it plays 1 to 100 players, so it is designed for large groups of people rushing around. It's a roll and write, of course, so it's, you know, it's basically solitaire in, in what you're actually doing. You're not interacting with everybody, and then you kind of compare your score and see what you did. But it was one of those games that everybody was talking about not a lot of people had, but when you did see it out, um, with the exception, I think, of the time we played it, which is just the four of us, lots and lots of people were sitting down. I think one of the we meetup nights we were playing it, um, uh, one of the people from Deepwater Games was teaching it, and she had 20 sheets for it. So she was like, I want 10 or 15 people to come over here and play this game. 
And I think she got that many because why not, right? It's relatively quick and it plays an infinite number of people if you have the, the sheets and the pens for it. So it was an interesting one. Um, we'll review this, I think, next week. Um, we'll get a few more plays in and get a review for you guys. But uh, very interesting. All right. Well, day one, and this typically happens, there's always one or two boots that really kind of stand as the busiest boots. So the busiest booth of the convention for Origins had to be Plan B Games. They had three big games coming out. They had Coimbra, they had The Reef, and they had Eastern Wonders. Am I right about that? That was the first booth that Anthony and I did hit, and it, we were not alone. There was a long line there, and they did a pretty good job of getting people through. And I think it didn't take very long, a couple of days into the convention, they sold out of everything there. Last year, they did... I, I think just as well when they had Spice Road and that went and that went fairly quickly as well. So yeah, yeah, it was a good one. We all rushed in there. We were wondering if we'd get our copies of Queen Bra because we didn't know they'd have it until that day. I ended up spending way too much money in that booth because all three games were interesting to me. <laughs> but I think a lot of people did that. But it was good. Another a very popular game that a lot of people rushed in to get, but that there were many more copies of, is The Mind. This is a the recently Spieldishyard nominated game that uh, it's being. Um, distributed by Pandasaurus Games in the U.S. And this one wins the award of Best Activity Disguised as a Game. Um, now, that might sound derogatory, but I did get a chance to play The Mind a few times over the weekend and quite enjoyed it. But keep in mind that whereas in a game, there's a way to either communicate or work with people or do something to affect how you perform, The Mind is it definitely leans more towards activity because you can't talk to each other. And you still have to try to place your cards in the right order so that they ascend naturally towards 100. And you just do this by staring at each other, waiting a certain amount of time, making facial expressions. Um, it's fun. It's goofy. It works really well at like 9 o'clock at night at a bar. Uh, but it's not a game game per se with like set rules and structures. Uh, but it, it is an interesting activity for sure. And one that I actually quite enjoyed. All right, well, the best game for artists is Pantone, the game. Now, we talked about this a little while back. Basically, it's all about all of these different paint swatches. And basically what the game comes down to is a little bit of Dixit kind of mixed in with a lot of the other party games you played. So basically what you're given is a card and you have to use these different paint swatch colors plays out like an actual like 8-bit game where you have to put these different little square colors together to kind of make an image in order to kind of express whatever the clue is on the card. And that other person, while they're trying to guess, can ask for actual hints that will eventually lead them to the final solution. So as far as a game production is concerned and as far as actually having the actual colors from the company – it's actually a pretty decent way, and this probably will eventually find its way into a number of different art stores. Yeah, I was really impressed. For a game, it's just a box full of cards with colors on them. And I really liked your Cookie Monster. I thought it was very good. <laughs> it was a great I got Cookie the, Monster. <laughs> I got the chips in it and everything, too. Yeah, that no, was great. Um, all right, so uh, the next one on the list here is the award for worst packaging of a good game. <laughs> And later on, I'm going to have the one of the coolest packaging. But for now, we got to go with the worst. And the reason why is that this is actually a fairly decent game that I completely ignored until Sunday. 
because it looks like it should be a party game. And the reason why it looks like it should be a party game or a children's game or just something not quite in our gamer wheelhouse is that it comes in a cylinder with a twist off top. Um, it's cardboard. It's not a, even a metal tin. It's a cardboard little cylinder box and it's, it's called Junk Orbit. So this is a new one from Renegade Games. And the game itself is, you know, a lightish pick up and deliver game in which you're kind of slingshotting your way around the Earth, Moon and Mars and picking up and delivering um, different things to various cities on those places. Very quick and relatively easy to teach. I liked it, though. You know, it has a certain charm to it. And there's a little bit of thinking going on there as you try to, like, measure out and slingshot your way in the right direction and not get hit by other people's space junk. Um, I think this would be a solid, you know, light entry-level game for a lot of people. But gamers are going to look at that cylinder and say, I got nowhere to put that. That doesn't fit on my shelf. What am I going to do with it? And that's exactly what went through my head. And so by the time I demoed it, well after they'd sold out of it, because... Not everybody agrees with me, apparently. <laughs> it, uh, I, even then, still, like, he's like, oh, do you like it? I'm like, yeah, it's really good. I don't know if I can, t- I don't know where I put this. Like, it's a funny thing to push back on, but I really want to, you know, it, it needs to fit in my neatly squared shelves, and True. it won't. <laughs> Not at all. No. All right, so talking about unique games, I want to talk about the best in-universe sequel. Now, this is actually a little hint for an upcoming episode that we're going to be doing, Century, Eastern Wonders. Now, we talked about Century Spice Road and obviously Plan B Games having such a a fantastic attraction for their games for these last two conventions. And once again, Century, Eastern Wonders really does a great job of integrating Spice Road into its gameplay. So even if Spice Road is no longer getting a lot of table time, having Century, Eastern Wonders to bring it back is really a great idea. And we're seeing it in more and more games. Yeah, this game's pretty good. I mean, I had a chance to play it just once now, but then there's also another way to play it where you bring in the cards from Spice Road. I'm very excited to try that as well. All right, so another award here is the most anticipated expansion. So lots and lots of expansions out there. This one is not released yet. It was just one that was available for demo, and that's Seven Wonders Armada. Got a chance to to try this out and see what it adds and changes to the game. And I think it's going to be a really popular one because it really makes you think about what types of cards you're playing and how they interact with each other. The way it works is every time you play um, a red, green, blue, or yellow card, you have the option to move up on the Armada track, one of your four ships. But every time you move up a ship, you also have to pay the resource uh, required by that ship movement. So you have to kind of think of not only what resources do I need to play my card, but what resources do I need to move up on the Armada track. There are certain bonuses you get when you move up Armada track, but then also at the end of each of the three ages, you're going to fight everybody at the table, not just your neighbors, but everybody at the table. And the person with the highest Armada value is going to get a reward, and the person with the lowest is going to get dinged. Um, just the one, just the one. So it's an interesting new element mixed into the game. There's a few new cards mixed in that help you move up further on the track and add a few new things to the game. Um, But in general, I think it's a fun new way, adds a little bit more combat that's not just with your neighbors, makes it a little tiny bit more interactive with the rest of the table. Um, And I think it'll be a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to when this one comes out. Well, next up is the Best Llama at the convention and you know anthony and i are big llama fans it was this was a really hard one but you know you get to have a giant llama at a convention and you're feeling pretty good about it even if it's in cardboard and so the winner obviously has to be altiplano 
We played this back at PAX Unplugged, and it was really nice to see this again at Origins, and really do enjoy this game, so it was good to see the llama in action. Yeah, and then the giant cardboard llama you could take a picture with and everything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> He's such a good sport about that. He's always like, sure, I'll just stand here motionless while you go ahead and take your photos. Exactly, and it wasn't. It was like a funny size too. It was like up to my waist, so it was big. It was really big, <laughs> but it was like still kind of small for me. It would, like children were all over it, but otherwise. Um, all right, so uh, we talked earlier about most overproduced abstract, but another one I wanted to talk about was most superfluous miniatures, and whereas in Way of the Panda the miniatures not vital but interesting. Um, these two games, I'm not sure how much they're actually needed. We have Council of Four, which is a, the U.S. release of a game that came out in Europe two years ago, and they replaced all the the wooden pieces with miniatures, some of which never even make it onto the board. Why? And then Starship Samurai, which is another game I'll talk about next week a little bit more in depth on the gameplay side, is this kind of area control, push-pull combat game, kind of in a similar vein of like a Kemet or a Cyclades, but even a little bit lighter and smaller in scale, with these giant samurai miniatures, which I love, and I'm going to buy probably, because they're amazing, like these mechanized samurai, but they don't really need to be there. Like, they don't serve a purpose other than to say, look at this giant samurai on the board. It's cool, right? And because it comes right off the map again. If you didn't have that, I don't know how much table presence the game would have, but they seem superfluous, other than being awesome. Alrighty, so uh, I mentioned earlier the not best packaging that made me not want a game. Now for the coolest packaging of any of the games that I saw. Um, this is the Ninth World, a skill building game. So this is a game from Lone Shark Games. It is a deck building game in the Numenera universe. The, the actual components and everything look great. thing that really captured my attention was the box and the packaging here because it comes in this big rectangular box so it's not round and it fits on my shelf and it has a snap lid that kind of unfolds and then all the bits and pieces are in there but then there's also a map on the inside of that fold as you unfold it you'll be able to use that as part of the game so like the box itself becomes part of the game as it kind of unfolds onto the table the artwork around the box is beautiful as you'd expect from a new Manera game um, all the pieces are very high quality. Uh, just in general, I really, really liked it. It has very strong table presence. And um, looking forward to this one. I think it actually just released yesterday. So by the time you're listening to this, this is out. You can go check it out. Yeah, definitely one to look at. And uh, the game itself is quite interesting as well. That is the coolest packaging in the Ninth World. Yeah, I want to add in Megaland from Red Raven Games because it has some fantastic, beautifully kind of colored insert that's produced by game trays that's trays with a z so please set up these trays you're like oh this is actually a really nice kind of experience and pretty much everything in that kind of above and below universe has this really beautiful artwork by ryan lockett and just having these kind of interesting beautiful game trays to kind of set the game up and kind of put the game into play is fantastic this game will actually be a target so a lot of people will be able to get this game to the table and it's nice to have a really solid insert for this all right so now we're on to our final award for the bga awards for the origins game fair 2018 the question that everyone typically wants to know is what we're going to answer here what in fact was the most played game from origins game fair 2018 anthony we got two 
big winners here. We saw these games played everywhere, not just at the demo areas, but on gaming spaces all over the place. I'm going to go with Reef here from Plan B Games. It was an, a kind of really beautifully colored and well-produced abstract game. We saw this played all over the place, not just by gamers, but also by media people and also by other people from different you know, gaming companies. So I'm going to go with Reef there. How about you? What did you see? Yeah, I definitely saw a lot of copies of Reef. It's quick and easy to learn. It's very colorful. It stands out. The other one I saw everywhere uh, is Welcome To, which I was impressed by because they only had maybe 150 copies for sale the whole week, plus pre-orders. But it seems like everybody who picked that game up was playing it. When you see a game in that limited quantity out that many times, that's a, that's a good sign. All right. So that's everything from our Origins Game Fair BGA Awards edition. We had a fantastic time. It was so great meeting everybody out there. So if you did stop by, if you did say hello, if you did listen to the podcast on the way there or on the way out, we hope that you enjoyed our coverage. We are really looking forward to the upcoming Gen Con Fair 2018 and obviously PAX Unplugged. So stay tuned. We're going to have some upcoming interesting, dynamic, and fun kind of coverage of those fairs coming up and obviously kind of post-game show and awards situations. All right, so that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll see, give you a seat at the Origins Game Fair 2019.